My guest today is going to talk all about religion in politics. Like it, hate it, love it, literally worship it. The one thing that you cannot do if you are running for president is ignore it. And we are going to get into all of it. Every discipline that we can possibly think of, we're going to get into the roots of when politics and religion became intertwined in the, the, the worlds of election, uh, uh, when they did it uh, in the modern context. Dude, we get all the way in, and it is super, super, super rad. I'm very happy with this interview, and I hope you guys like it too. Before we begin, though, a reminder that we have a Patreon, and you can get to it at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It is there that for $3, a measly $3, you can get a bonus episode on every Monday, a bonus episode every Friday. It's so easy. You just go ahead and you get your custom RSS feed. You're listening to this on a podcatcher, most likely. You just take that RSS feed right off your phone as soon as you do it, and you plug it right into your podcatcher. No usernames, no passwords. You can do it one-handed on your phone. All right. Enough of talking about how we support the show. What do you say? We just go ahead and get into it. Politics, 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 politics. My guest today is Diane Winston. She is the night chair in media and religion at the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show today, Diane. Thank you, Justin. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, well, I'm excited uh, to talk to you because it's a subject that I don't think gets as much mainstream uh, publicity as it really should, considering how much it factors into a political campaign, and that is... Religion. Uh, uh, can you real quick just uh, uh, give me a historical primer on how that uh, has gone in terms of presidential politics and religion? Well, religion has usually played a part in presidential politics because from the founding fathers on, there's been a sense that being a good leader means being a virtuous person. Now, the Founding Fathers did not want to specifically make a religious test um, for the presidency, nor did they want to establish a state religion, but they were very clear that they hoped people running for that high office would be, um, be religious people who had a sense of values, virtues, and morality. Interestingly enough, in the 1800 campaign for president between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, religion became a real factor in the contest. Um, Jefferson was known to say horrible things about Adams. I think he called him a hideous, hermaphroditical character. <laughs> but Adams called Jefferson an atheist who was trying to destroy Christianity. Um, and that felt really real to um, people in that in 1800. They, they had to think long and hard. Actually, Jefferson did get elected in that campaign, but it's remembered as the first campaign where politics became a, 
um, hot button issue. Yeah, and that I would assume, uh, based on my limited historical uh, context, that that atheist did not mean then what it does now. It's not just you know your 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 barista. It, it meant something far more damning in terms of a uh, being loose of your morality. Oh yes, Justin, totally. Um, being an atheist then was um, really being out of normal social bounds because most people did take religion quite seriously. And so being someone who didn't believe in God was a pretty far stretch. So he did win. So um, it may have bothered people, but they still voted for him. Yeah. Now, uh, let, let's let's move a little bit forward to uh, kind of the, the modern, you know, let's like 1960 on idea of crafting a political uh, message with religion. Uh, obviously, uh, in, in 1960, uh, John F. Kennedy is elected. There is a lot of talk about having a Catholic president. The Democratic Party previous to that had been very uh, hesitant since Al Smith to even run a Catholic. That was kind of like the, the verboten thing to do. Uh where does in our modern context, I I I uh, ping it to 1960, but uh, where in our modern uh, modern context for you does uh, religion start to look like the way it looks like in campaigns today? Well, the the real start time was Jimmy Carter's presidency and Jimmy Carter's candidacy, because even though presidents before then all said they believed in God and, you know, made all the right noises. Carter was the first person in a while to make his faith really integral to his campaign. Um, and the news media really picked up on that. Uh, there was one time when I think it was Walter Cronkite was on television and he said something like, um, there are millions of evangelicals in the country. In other words, the news media had come on so hard about uh, Carter's Christianity and his evangelicalism that Cronkite feared his his um, audience had no idea that this was a common thing in America. And um, that campaign, which supposedly um, the event, white evangelical vote helped Carter tremendously, was the first time pundits began thinking, mm, you know, this is a political base that um, is important that we've overlooked. Uh, can we can we home back on something that you just mentioned about Cronkite, that the, the idea that there is a division between the media, largely based in New York and Los Angeles, and evangelicals, which obviously are everywhere, but predominantly have roots in certain places in the South and the Southeast and the Midwest. Uh, uh, has that always just been a, a division? Because that would seem to be an example of him saying, hey, media critics, uh, uh, just so you know, like we're not just asking these questions for no reason. There's a gigantic audience watching us that cares about religion. Yeah, and you know, that's a really funny disconnect, Justin, because... From the end of the 19th century on, the media has adopted a hostile attitude towards religion. And one theory suggests that um, it's because of competition for leadership and moral authority. And if you look pretty much in, through the mid-19th century, religion was the moral arbiter, the kind of social 
uh, lodestone for understanding what it meant to be a good person and what it meant to be a good American. As um, religion became more liberal and people became more secularized towards the end of the 19th century, um, newspapers and the media took over a lot of that moral guidance. And part of what newspapers did was to switch from using clergy people as op-ed writers and as opinion makers, and instead of holding them up to a high standard, began making fun of them and looking for ways to make religion ridiculous. And the Scopes trial is the best example of that. So religious folks have been getting kind of a bump treatment from the media, I don't know, for like the last 130 years, I'd say. So would you say that uh, like attacking the media uh, is is kind of a soft way that you can speak to an evangel uh, an evangelical community without necessarily speaking to an evangelical community? Yeah, because I think white evangelicals are aware. I mean, they're not idiots. They know that the liberal quote unquote liberal press has been um, denigrating them for so long, and the irony here is that. I was a reporter during the um, growth of televangelism, and I think that a lot of my fellow journalists loved people like Swaggart and Falwell and Robertson because they were so outrageous. Like, yeah. this is a wet dream for a reporter saying God caused a hurricane because he wanted to punish homosexuals. You know, yeah, it's a great soundbite. And the irony of it is because... Um, they paid so much attention to these people, they did gain a certain amount of authority. And the most outrageous fundamentalist and evangelical spokespeople became, quote-unquote, the religious voices of their time. Uh, I wouldn't say Jerry Falwell was the religious representative of the 1980s and 1990s, but the media catapulted him into that position and it becomes like a feedback loop. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So he keeps saying the outrageous thing. The media keeps paying they attention keep to him and calling him the leader of the religious right. right. And so right. yeah, even, even if it's just a, a, a decreasing amount, a, a decreasing percentage of people that might be interested that now see him, that will always be there. And next thing you know, he's building Liberty university. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that doesn't happen just with religious leaders. A lot of people say that was part of the problem with covering Trump in the sure. campaign, yeah. up, you know, up to the campaign. So, yeah, the media creates its own reality oftentimes. Yeah, I mean, that that's a big discussion now is, is exactly what is the line between exposing uh, something that you think is wrong or, or outside the norms and how much of it is highlighting it. Like uh, how many times are we going to go into some uh, uh, disgusting cesspool of an internet forum and find people who are saying the worst things on the planet so you can broadcast them for everybody and then expect that other people might not want to find or might want to find that disgusting cesspool and it becomes bigger and bigger. Yeah. 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 And it's important to remember that until, I don't know, what, the late 1990s, most people were not on the Internet. Yeah. And there were much fewer sources, media sources, and so they had a lot more power than they may have now, right? Oh, absolutely. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now now they let anybody do a podcast like me. 
uh, which is nice. Uh, all right, so let's let's get into kind of how a modern campaign uh, messages for religion. We're, we're going to get into specific candidates in a second, but are there any ground rules that that you have seen in terms of uh, being around these these subject matters that like you definitely want to do this, you definitely don't want to do this other thing. <laughs> well. If you're a Republican, you definitely want to tie yourself to um, Christianity, conservative Christianity, to um, right to life, to anti-gay rights, to religious liberty now, to a strong Israel. So it's very clear cut if you're a Republican, what you want to tie yourself to in terms of religious, a religious platform. If you're a Democrat, it's a little more loosey goosey. And, um, I think we see in, in this campaign, uh, a lot of the Democrats trying to come up with a message that will be religious. And I don't mean, uh, sectarian religious, yeah. but, Overall, like um, after covering religion and politics for a long time, candidates don't get elected necessarily because of their platform. They get elected because of their vision. And the best visions have some sort of a larger purpose. You could call it religious, spiritual, uh, communitarian, humanist, but they have to believe somehow that there's a greater good that we're all aspiring to. And for the Republican Party, it's evangelical Christianity. But for the Democrats, what is it? And the candidates are coming up with a variety of different visions, some based on traditional religion, some not, that they're trying to inspire people with. Now, uh, one question about kind of the the Republican Party's relationship with evangelicals in a post-Trump world or a, a, a currently Trump world is that everything that you said when you ticked off uh, the things that you want to do as a Republican candidate, I would mostly agree will definitely be here in 20 years. You know, uh, abortion, uh, uh, the, the right to worship, uh, a strong relationship with Israel. But Donald Trump did veer, I mean, certainly for a Republican uh, 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 more dramatically than than you would have expected on gay rights. He was the first Republican cam- uh, candidate to hold up a, a LGBT flag. He invited Peter Thiel to speak at the Republican National Convention. Is gay rights specifically something that you would say will be talked about in the same way in 20 years uh, like some of the other tenets of evangelical communication? If the evangelical narrative around gay rights changes in 20 years, it will be because of the young people coming up today. Yeah. Younger evangelicals don't have the same problem with gays um, that older evangelicals do. And that's going to be the force for change. I don't think that older evangelicals are necessarily going to change their hostility to gay rights and the support for the um, masterpiece masterpiece cake shop. Oh uh, yes, you know, yes, yeah. Um, has the the uh, bakery that wouldn't make a cake for a gay couple? Yeah, that's a good example of what became a really strong rallying point in the evangelical community. So the change is going to come because a new generation is coming up. So 
in 20 years, it may not matter, but in 20 years, I don't know how many white evangelicals are going to be around. Their numbers are falling. Um, young people are disenchanted and leaving those churches. So it doesn't seem as if in 20 years from now, they're going to be as strong as they are. You know, today. It, it's, it's funny because even in the conservative press, that cake story got spun just as much as a like political correctness run amok kind of narrative as it did an evangelical one. So it, it's very, it's very interesting to see kind of where some of those issues are, uh, uh, you know, morphing in, in a certain way, at least in this new crazy world where nobody really knows how to talk to anybody anymore because the media, like you mentioned, is totally shattered and splintered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we feel more polarized um, yeah. than we may have in other points in our history. And I think part of that is, is uh, the Republican leadership. Yeah. Which, I mean, who knows even where that is now. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it used to be a, a very a gigantic bedrock, and then all of a sudden Donald Trump rolls in, and who knows what happens when Donald Trump leaves? Because uh, uh, you know who knows who knows where that goes. All right, let's let's go ahead and pivot to the Democrats. So you have a lot of candidates that are taking a lot of different stabs at how they are going to mold either their religion or religious messaging to identify to certain communities. Let's go ahead and start with Bernie Sanders. Uh, he is uh, an atheist who was raised Jewish, but you don't see a lot of religious messaging in the way that he talks. Well, see, that's interesting because I think it depends on the ear of the hearer. To me, Sanders sounds very Jewish. His um, He harkens back to the Jewish trade unionists and socialists mm. and radicals of the 20th century, of the early early 20th century, um, some of the many of the immigrants who came to America from Russia and Russia and other places in Eastern Europe were Jews culturally uh, by birth and by you know culture, but they weren't religiously Jewish, and they spoke a language of socialism and you know universal rights and. Uh, standing up for working-class people. So in the sense of Bernie having very strong um, predecessors in this idea of Judaism is about bettering the world and Judaism is about a universal voice for social change, sounds very Jewish to me. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I'll tell you what, you put it that way. It makes a lot of of sense. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. And, um, you know, he himself has said, I'm proud to be Jewish. I don't deny I'm Jewish. But I don't think he identifies with the organized Jewish community, which is which is different than being Jewish. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Uh, uh, and I guess that's that's something that we have not seen because we've we've only seen, a, a, you know, a, a comparative handful of of Jewish politicians on the national stage, like we have seen so many Christian politicians of many denominations. I think that that's an interesting thing to explore because we haven't seen it a lot. Right. Because most Jewish politicians I'm thinking now of like Joe Lieberman, you know, make who is the most, who is the most um, visible one since he was Gore's vice presidential candidate, vice presidential running mate. 
you know, made a big deal of being Jewish and being Orthodox, and that was like a whole thing for him. But Bernie represents a lot of Jews who feel like their ideals and their aspirations for social justice are a product of their Judaism, but they don't necessarily feel motivated to go to services or light candles on Friday night. I also think Bernie's Jewishness, um, it could be a plus in some communities that um, are progressive and also Christian. So, for example, I wonder how he's going to play, especially now that he's become more politically savvy than he was in 2016, I wonder how he might play in Latinx or Black communities where there's a sense that Jews are, you know, their big brothers or Jews are God's chosen people. Um, It's less, you know, there's less anti-Semitism and more philo-Semitism. Yeah. All right, let's move on to somebody. It's funny you already mentioned the the Masterpiece Cake Shop there in yeah. in Indiana. Uh, uh, the it, to my eye, the the candidate on the Democratic side that is making the most to to make sure that they mention their faith is Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend. Uh, what is your take on how he, as an openly gay candidate, is using his religion to speak to voters? Um, Buddha Judge seems to be among the most successful at religious messaging, and I, I guess that's because you know he's comfortable doing that, and his religion really is important to him because you can't fake this stuff either it's yeah. there or it's not there. He's an Episcopalian, and the Episcopal Church has you know recognized same-sex relationships, and they've been ordaining gays, you know for what, 20, 25 years. So this is not something that's problematic or unusual um, in his world. And it's interesting because there are a lot of gays and lesbians who, who have sought out religion as something which gives them comfort and support, even when religious traditions haven't been very welcoming to them. And Buttigieg sort of shows what happens when you do get a a warm reception from your religious home, which is to say that your gayness or your whateverness becomes less important, but your commitment to the Christian lifestyle is enhanced. And religious progressives resonate to what he's saying because he's actually using the Bible in ways that seem familiar to them and make sense to them. I think one of the problems that some evangelicals have with Trump and and their current Republican leaders is that they talk a lot about the Bible, but what they do is so unbiblical. Well, and, yeah. I mean, um, in, in, in Trump's case, it was literally his entire brand for most of his life <laughs> was like gaudy wealth and sleeping around. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's what turned off a lot of young evangelicals and older evangelicals, too. And so, you know, judge seems to um, walk the talk and many people talk the talk without walking the walk and he seems to be able to do both 
so I think that he has, um, and he's able to do so in a humble, easygoing manner. And I think people like that. You know, the thing with him is that, and I and I don't mean to say this in a way to insinuate that he is is in any way disingenuous, because I don't believe it. But I do know that he is somebody that currently is on top of all fundraisers in the Q2, raising more money than a, a, a vice president and several senators. And his job is to be the mayor of a small town that previously people only knew for college football. Uh, so if you are going to get from here to there, you have to have a very good strategy and very good execution on it. He comes from the McKinsey consulting tree. Uh, I, I almost think that it's like, man, there, there had to be some question at some point where it's like, OK, we need to make sure that if I'm going to be the first gay president, that I am also somebody who can quote chapter and verse better than anybody else on stage from the primaries to the general election. Ooh, you are cynical. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't it have just been like one of those happy coincidences that he, you know, hit a number of boxes and it just so happened he also could speak from a faith perspective? Maybe. I mean, look, yes, maybe. And and I will I will certainly take the cynical charge. I will certainly I will certainly say that it comes off. But look, I mean, that's that's what McKinsey does. McKinsey's literally a, a firm to show people exactly how they need to reorganize their organization so they can function better. I think that I, I, I wouldn't say it's a cynical thing to say that this is the kind of thing that you need to figure out if you want to go from a, a city hall to the White House. That That's a gigantic task. Yeah. No, you're, it, that's true. You know, every uh, the degree of, of, you know, massaging that candidates need to go through is a lot more than us lay people recognize. Yeah. Um, and he does hit all those boxes, but I don't know. I don't want to get disenchanted this early on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the difference. The difference is I look at that and I'm like, ooh, that was smart. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't look. I don't look at it as like, oh, he's presenting a false face. I think everything that he's done, because like you said, uh, uh, the 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 religious among us can sniff out frauds. Like they can sniff mm-hmm. out when you are faking it, when you are up at Liberty University talking about how two Corinthians was your favorite, uh, your, your favorite <laughs> verse. Like they they know it, they know it well. Uh, so I, I don't think that it is something you can fake. I, I do believe that that is important to him. All right, let's talk about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Uh, right now is uh, surging after her debate performance, yet her polling numbers with the African-American community, for which faith is very important, uh, are not great. Uh, uh, how is she leveraging uh, a, a religion or not leveraging? Leveraging is a cynical term. How is she emphasizing her religion <laughs> to speak to the voters she needs to speak to? Well, Kamala Harris is in this interesting position because as someone who's um, a scholar of American religion, I look at her and she seems a quintessential American. She's half Hindu, half Christian, and she's married to a Jew. Mm-hmm. Like, does it get any better than that? Yes, she's got it all. <laughs> but she has a lot of it. And, you know, she grew up going to Hindu temple and Christian church. Um, but... Although I see, I see on some websites she calls herself a Baptist now. She doesn't speak a lot about religion. She has been going to black churches recently to try to get her message across. 
But reading a couple of um, of black websites, I think she has an uphill battle. Um, many black men are suspicious of her because of her past as a prosecutor. You know, some black women are not happy that she married a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't speak that churchy language. She's more of a cerebral candidate, um, and I think that may help explain why she's, you know, she's not talking from her heart as much as from her head. Now, when she put down Biden, she was talking from her heart, but I also think, going back to what you just said, that she knew exactly what she was doing and she had thought about what she was doing, and that wasn't a spontaneous moment. It was something that I think she probably was just waiting to drop in at the right moment. But uh, I, I would, I would, I would, I would agree and say that the link she had to the shirts with the 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 tagline of what she said hours after the debate probably betrayed that as well. Right, right, exactly. So you know, white people can look at her and say, "Oh, she's black. Black people are going to vote for her." But it's much more complicated than that. And um, I think she'll have to visit a lot more churches and start talking a lot more about her own story to raise her profile in the black community. I agree. Because uh, for anybody, you know, I got a, especially after the debate, it's got a bunch of emails like, oh, I think she's going to be able to turn out the Obama coalition, which obviously uh, factors heavily on the African-American vote. And if you look at those numbers, they're not there. <laughs> she has a long, no, they, she has a long way to go. And, and they haven't really gone up much since the debate. No. So, um, yeah, I think that's a real problem for her in the long run. Now, I think if right now the far and away candidate who's talking the most or, or being heard the most by the black community is Joe Biden. If Joe Biden seems less and less electable, I do think that maybe there is going to be a, a second chance opportunity for some of these candidates of which Harris and Booker could better their station. But I, I, I agree with you. I think that there's there's definitely a huge gulf that she's going to have to walk. Well, the interesting thing I've been noticing online is that Elizabeth Warren is is inching up in the black community. Yeah. And she's inching up because um, she has very clear about her programs and she's very much about the same issues that, you know, many in the black community are about, as well as many in the white community, Latinx community, blah, blah, blah. And um, apparently, you know, she brought this up briefly, I think, in the debate that she's a Methodist and she's a person of belief. She doesn't wear it on her sleeve, but I think she's not um, afraid to talk about it in the right circumstances. So she also has been visiting a lot of black churches, and I think her numbers are going up in that community. Yeah. Um, I I haven't seen very many pieces where she talks about her faith commitments. And like Sanders, the vision she's offering is more of a vision of justice and a vision of fairness. Um, I think that needs to be grounded in something in larger principles, whether they're humanist or Christian or very articulately, you know, let justice roll down like a mighty stream. But apparently, um, you know, part of why people like her is she seems to have a capacious perspective. 
I guess going back to what you had initially talked about, about the, the roots of religion, there is an element for her, a lot of her presentation is, I am rooted in these moralities, right? And even mm-hmm. in, in times where it's like, all right, I'm very progressive, but I also believe in markets and I'm a capitalist. And so it doesn't matter whether mm-hmm. or not I'm going to get yelled at for that. I'm going to say I'm a capitalist to my bones and, and that will that will be a, a thing for me. But at the same time, I'm not for theft. And like that's these these are the reasons why I want to put forth these proposals. Uh, and and so maybe that's like being a rock in in terms of specific issues can translate if you if you yeah. speak it the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching her campaign this past year has been fascinating, don't you think? I mean, the way she oh. kind of yeah. plotted, in a sense, plotted, but also you know, sword. I mean, number one, uh, uh, already comeback player of the year, considering how she started mm-hmm. her campaign disastrously. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and she has been very smart, very, very smart. I think right now the uh, the 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 race to watch is her and Bernie for that progressive lane. But uh, we will yeah. see how that yeah. how that plays out. Uh, one more candidate that I want to talk to you about. She is uh, the most upfront with her spirituality. Uh, she is an author on the subject, Marianne Williamson, who introduced herself to uh, the larger uh, populace at, at, at the debates. This is something that I think is front and center for her, right? Uh, religion and spirituality. Yes. And, you know, in honor of this podcast, I earlier tweeted out a piece I'd written about her in 2014 when she was running for Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, Marianne Williamson came to speak to my class because I teach a course on on spirituality and social activism. And in 2014, she was running for Congress out here in California, and I asked her if she would come to class. And I had real doubts about Marianne Williamson because um, (laughs) she just seemed like a huckster to me. And... Uh um, you know, for when she first became famous in the nineties, there were everyone wrote big cover stories on her and you know, it was like this little girl from Texas couldn't find herself and then she threw herself into New Age religion and, you know, she became a guru to gay people and isn't she fabulous? And she married Elizabeth Taylor. And I just was like one of these, you know, stories that uh, it's like a great story, but like, is this person for real? I yeah. mean, would you really trust this person? Um, so I invited her because I was kind of curious about what she would say to the class. And she came in and basically gave a stump speech for her campaign. <laughs> now, the class really like was totally like not down with it. They yeah. kind of didn't enjoy it at all. She was there, I think, because I had like a hundred kids who were going to be voters, and yeah. that was important to her. Um, however, although they did not like her, I thought she was great. I thought she was great because um, she said some really smart things about politics and vision and social change, and I think most of us can't hear what she's saying because it comes wrapped in this package that's been overproduced and it's been, you know, written off by the media and we say she's woo-woo and we say, you know, we create memes about how strange and silly she is. Yeah. And 
And that may all be true, but she is saying something important, which is that you need a vision, a positive vision, and you need to change society, not only by legislating, but giving people an expansive way to think that lets them care about each other. And I've read some commentary where some people have picked that up about her, um, and I don't expect her to succeed. And every time I raise her name, my husband, like, gives me a look like I've gone crazy. <laughs> but she is saying something worthwhile. And, you know, if other candidates took it to heart, they're not going to say, Trump, I'm going to, you know, beat you with love rather than fear. Yeah. But they could take to heart that you do need to have a vision of universalism or collectivism or love thy neighbor, because part of what's wrong in this country is the out-of-control individualism and self-aggrandizement that has come into, you know, official being with Trump. And she's a counter to that. So um, I think that she has a message. Someone else needs to pick it up and run with it. And it's, you don't have to make it a woo-woo message. Yeah. This is a message that in Christianity and Judaism, you know, it's in Islam, it's not a out-of-the-world message. It's just in its new age garb, it turned a lot of people off, but that doesn't make it the wrong message, does it? You follow? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's you You mentioned Jimmy Carter earlier. It, you know, to me, I, I don't know for, you know, it shows you how much culture and media has kind of changed. But and certainly Jimmy Carter's message is not Marianne Williamson's message. But I, I do sense a lot of like, look, I'm going to be out front on this is I, I want to connect people by way of this higher power. Wow, that's so smart, Justin. That's exactly it. Because um, when, as I said earlier, when he first talked about that, you know, the media elites yeah. thought he was nuts. And the truth of the matter is, a growing number of people in America are not religious. Um, some of them are more spiritual or less spiritual, but. You know, a religion of a message of Christianity may not get to them, whereas someone talking what seems to be universal principles of love may be um, more compatible. I also saw, take this for what it's worth, but I also saw recently um, on one website that Wicca is the fastest growing religion in America. <laughs> and she's not, she's not Wiccan. No. But Wiccan is another religion that's been trashed by the media, but yeah. basically is about feminist spirituality. And so, I don't know. I I think we maybe we are having are going to have a paradigm shift in our political language again. And you know, she is the Jimmy Carter of the twenty first century. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what. Everybody can laugh. Everybody can laugh in the media, and everybody can laugh on these other campaigns. But I'll guarantee you this. <laughs> When she drops out, and I agree with you, I don't necessarily think that she has much of a chance in this particular race, but she will be a sought-after endorsement. There is there is going to be somebody that will ask her, hey, can you, you know, when you when you drop out, can you make sure that you connect me with the people that you are speaking to? Because she has a gigantic platform. She has a 
really big platform. You know, Oprah loves her. She's on Oprah. There are like lots of people out there who really love her. So yes, I think getting her her um, support will be important to someone down the line. But you know, again, this is one of those other things that I think the media does no service to people with vision and and messages. And look. She said some. She said some really dumb things about vaccinations and yeah. weight loss and mental health. I'm not giving her a free pass, but just as evangelicals say about you know Trump, well, God's using him. He has a message, and they ignore all the bad stuff. Yeah. I'm saying you know, forget the bad stuff and listen to why this message might be a good message for now. I I do I do think that the 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 anti-vax stuff is something that. Uh, you know, has not gotten the kind of play that I think it would if uh, if, if she were running as a Republican, for example. But uh, uh, again, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what how many uh, how what people would expect of her beyond, you know, the 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 memes, you know, like she mm-hmm. she is she's a fully formed media figure for those who have paid attention mm-hmm. to her. And for those who haven't. All everything is there. You can go see. She's got decades worth of sound bites and books that you can know exactly who she is. Yeah, which is interesting. I want to ask you one more thing. Oh, the sure. other person who I, I've been looking into is Cory Booker. What do yes. you think about Cory Booker? Cory Booker, I, I believe, has a hard time connecting as a human to people. Uh, <laughs> I I think that it, it's funny because as far as religion goes, I know that he probably is is the most uh up on Judaism <laughs> uh compared to anybody else on stage. I know he has a uh either through business connections or, or personal connections uh a, a lot of uh the 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 discipline escapes me, but uh, a specific discipline of Judaism. Uh but again, he like Kamala Harris uh have a, a hard time I think connecting to what you would assume to be the natural base of an African American candidate of their level uh specifically somebody that for cory booker is running very much on a i came back to uh, an inner city so i could do better uh kind of platform uh, i think that that will ultimately be the reason why he he does not have the kind of success but uh he has not been able to at least from my vantage point uh connect to a religious crowd or an african-american crowd yeah, see, that's what I think is so fascinating because he is pretty religious himself. Yeah, and he he inspires people who hear him, you know, live. But he really didn't come across that well in the debate. I thought, and it doesn't seem like his message is translating that well into the black community. So, yeah, because he is one of the more religious candidates, and yet. Somehow something's being lost in translation. There's, yeah, there's just a, you know, I did a live show making fun of the debates afterward and, and, you know, I, I made the point. I actually thought he came off more human than he normally does in the, in those debates. I thought he had an okay <laughs> debate. Uh, but part of it is that there's just something that is, uh, and maybe it, it's now politicians like him are just not what they used to be in terms of like, there's not quite the spark like everything he says, you feel like he's said a million times in his head uh, in, mm-hmm. in in a way that I think specifically post Trump, even, you know, uh, the, the part of the paradigm shift that you'd have to pay attention if you're running for president now is does this come off like I mean it? 
because like him or hate him, you believe that Trump is saying things that at least in the moment he believes like he is, he is uh, uh, you know, nothing that he says seems like he said it before, except for make America great again. Uh, uh, other other than that, you know, there there's a little bit of a, a live spark to him. And I think it's what makes Bernie interesting, although obviously he has his talking points. It's what makes Elizabeth Warren interesting. It's it, what made Kamala Harris interesting. And for Cory Booker, I, I agree with you. There's just something behind the eyes that's kind of missing for many voters. Yeah, yeah. I am so grateful that you wanted to talk to me because I think this um, topic, religion and politics, is so important. And yet so many people ignore it or don't get it. But many people in America, you know, think about what make. why am I here, what makes why is life important? You know, yeah. how can I make this a better world? And lots of people scoff at it, but those are kind of the religious questions that people want answers from politicians, as well as how do I pay for college and will I get a raise? And, you know, can we live with climate change? So, yeah, yeah people are interested in the practical and the metaphysical. It is it is an unavoidable topic, and I am so glad that I had somebody uh, like you on here to chop it up with us. Uh, Diane Winston, again, the night chair in media and religion at the Annenberg School for Communications and Journalism. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And and if there's anything that happens in the world of, uh, of religion, I'm going to call you back because this was fantastic. <laughs> thank you. I'd love to talk to you again. <laughs> Take care. You too. Bye. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>